You're listening to Ghostly Activities, and this is I Lived in a Haunted House. Hi, my name is Anita, and I lived in a haunted house. So this was a house in Driggs, Idaho. It was a single-story old farmhouse. Uh, It was one of the older homes in town, so probably from the 1920s, if not 1910s, maybe. You could tell that it had started out as a small kind of two-bedroom home, and then they put an extension or, you know, they extended the house, added a kitchen, and a workspace and another bedroom. But there was a small attic. Maybe some kids or teenagers had had like a a playroom, kind of a hangout space up there, but it was not officially used as as a room or, you know, it wasn't a second story. It was just like this little space up there. Not really even tall enough to stand up in. I loved that house. It was... This was the house getting out of my father's house. So it was really like, it was great. This is my house, you know, but it it felt very comfortable. Uh, It was very welcoming there. Fondest memory of that house. Uh, There's, there's a few, but honestly, the clearest one is that uh, we signed the lease. And before we had really started moving stuff into the house, um, I went there after work one day and I just laid down in the sunny patch of the carpet in the living room where the sun was pouring in and I took a nap there. <laughs> and it was so quiet, I could hear the birds, it was comfortable and warm and just, it was just really lovely. <laughs> Shortly after we moved in, we started to have the uh, bedroom doors open. Like, we would leave the house, they would all be closed, we would come back, and they would be open. When the doors started opening and closing, that we thought, hmm, there might be something here. Basically, what we thought is we had blocked an entity's path. They would go from the front door to the back door, or the front door to the kitchen, and we had blocked its path with this big iron candelabra. So that forced it to have to go around that path and through the bedrooms, which then made it start opening and closing the doors. Then it started to take my husband's keys. Uh, he was He's one of these guys that, you know, walk in the door, he would set his hat down, put his keys and his wallet in his hat. But once in a while, his house keys would be gone. And then they would show up in like a random place in the bedroom or in, in the second bathroom. Uh, that nobody really used that often. So that became a little annoying. And then one morning, it was the middle of winter, and this is up in the mountains of Idaho, so it was freaking cold out. Matt woke up for work about 6 a.m. He walked out of the bedroom into the kitchen, and both the door from the kitchen to the entry, the mudroom, and then the door from the mudroom to the exterior, outside. Both of those were wide open. 
and being a city boy, he has a habit of deadbolting the exterior doors anytime we go to bed. When he woke up and both of those doors were wide open, that was the point where it was kind of, you know, that, that was a bad experience. That was the one that kind of prompted him and myself to be like, okay, if you want to stay here, you knock that shit off. Or the ultimatum was, if you don't stop doing stuff like this, then we are going to kick you out. Not so much commanding, but having a very frank conversation with the spirit. Um, but yeah, but that was the ultimatum put on the, on the table. That is when the spirit, she went upstairs to the little attic space, but we could hear then footsteps. She would walk the same path, like from the front door back to the kitchen, except it was above the main level. We lived there about a year and a half, and uh, we left because we got a job offer in Washington State, so we left the state. Honestly, it was kind of a hurried thing, too. We had friends that helped us load, you know, <laughs> loading the U-Haul into the wee hours of the morning and then slept on the floor and then left. So it's kind of sad. Maybe we should have said goodbye. Hi, my name is Josh and I lived in a haunted house uh, in Dunwoody, Georgia, in a neighborhood called Redfield. The house was, is a uh, standard three bedroom, three bath home uh, suburb in a suburban neighborhood. It did have a built-in mother-in-law suite as well as a half-finished basement. Being that the home was built on the highest point in the neighborhood, which we were really lucky for like sledding in the winter time because we had the highest hill. Um, and also in the evenings or at nighttime when we were supposed to be in bed, my mom would come and wake us up and we would go cuddle in a blanket in front of the big bay windows at the front of the house and watch thunderstorms rolling, Georgia thunderstorms. Um, so that was probably my fondest memory of the home is watching those thunderstorms rolling with my mom in the middle of the night. We still had to be up for school the next day, but we got to watch thunderstorms rolling, which was really cool. In the earlier years, it was a great home. Uh, it's where I basically grew up from a young child of about three and a half to about 12 years old, roughly. Problems didn't start until later in my, in my life. My dad had an office before he reached the unfinished part of the basement. My sister, my parents were out of town. My brother was out with his friends. My sister was basically supposed to be babysitting me. But I was the little brother, minus about six years, I think, or seven years. So I was really the little brother. And my sister had all of her friends over and they were down in the basement room and I was sitting on the basement steps. What I remember seeing is a bright light coming in, coming out from underneath the door. And then all of a sudden the lights went dark and they started screaming. And apparently a gentleman uh, that I knew by the name of Fish Fins, because the way he had his hair cut, basically was slashed in the leg 
but his jeans were not cut. And all I pretty much heard was rumbling and shaking of the doors and everybody was screaming in this office room. There's about six or seven of them in there. And then all of a sudden they came busting out, carrying Mike up the stairs. Um, and his, his pant leg was completely soaked through with blood. And my sister claimed that they were doing a seance a Ouija board and something went wrong is all she would tell me. I think she was, her and her friends were trying to discover possibly what, you know, what, what their direction was. And of course there was a lot of uh, Wiccan activities. There was a lot of seance activities, a lot of Ouija board activity. And I want to say that they were new to it, but maybe they pushed the boundaries more than what their knowledge base was. All I know is my sister claims um, that there is a uh, evil spirit that has followed her since then. And she refuses to reveal its name. She will not. She will not speak its name, or she doesn't even really like to talk about it. I had my own room in my house, um, and in my room, I had a set of folding closet doors, which behind that were a set of attic doors. The attic doors would rattle at night to the point where they would actually open up, and then the closet doors themselves would open about an inch and a half, revealing a black line, uh, making me feel like something inside the attic was trying to get at me, and that would make me run out of the room, terrified, of course. And this happened just about every night that I can remember. And I, I very rarely ever slept in that room because of this, because it would start happening. My mom would put me to bed and uh, it would be after midnight. I'd be woken up to the sound of uh, the attic door shaking. And then the closet door would open a little bit, like almost like a vacuum type of thing. Up to the last night before, the very last night that I ever spent in that room, the shaking was so violent that what I did was before I went to bed that night, I took a string and I tied it around the handles. And I went to bed and because I figured, well, if the string was on the doors, they couldn't rattle, they couldn't shake. I, I tied it tight enough to where I tried to pull the door open. It wouldn't even come open, but maybe a little bit, like a couple centimeters. Um, and so I was like, I was convinced that the doors were stuck tight that night and I could sleep. And I woke up and the doors were rattling against the string and I jumped up and I was like, you know, I was going to face my fears and I basically went towards the closet and I heard a snap and the door, the closet doors opened in front of me. I ran out of the room. The next morning I came in, the string had actually snapped on the doors. Sorry, I get chills thinking about it. Um, but they had actually snapped on the doors and my closet doors were open completely and everything that was hanging in the closet was on the floor. And that was the last night I ever spent in that room. I refused to sleep in the room after that. My parents got divorced and uh, they decided to put the house on the market. My dad was moving back to California and my mom, of course, was looking for more affordable housing. At that point, after all the experiences that I had had on the property and the house, I was fine with. I wanted to get away from that home. So it was bought by a uh, doctor and his family. And actually, before I moved to Washington, uh, myself and my friends went back by there. The owner happened to come out. He happened to remember my mom. And um, they had changed the home a little bit. And from what I understood, you know, they, they raised their kids in the home. and. They never really had any more issues after that.
Hi, my name is June Nixon, and I lived in a haunted house in Kansas City, Missouri. Well, the house was an old farmhouse that was probably built in the 1920s. Um, at the time, it was the only house in the whole area. So after a few miles, it was the only house that was there. It had a basement, middle floor, and an upstairs and an attic. There was a garage, an old shed out the back. I mean, it was a very uh, comfortable house. I enjoyed uh, growing up in the area. We had a swing set and um, outside, and we played a lot outside. Uh, lots of places that could get really muddy, so of course we loved rolling around in the mud, <laughs> making mud pies. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, it was a great place. Lots of uh, kids lived around the neighborhood, and our house kind of was the place where they all came to hang out. I just felt um, like, you know, every once in a while that something might be there. My fondest memory, I had so many good memories. Uh, you know, one of my uh, happiest memories, I guess you'd say, is coming down Christmas mornings. Uh, and of course, Santa Claus had visited us. But one of my favorite times was coming down and seeing this old puppet theater that my dad at the time, I, at the time I was going to say, I thought it was Santa to put it together. But my dad put this big puppet theater together. And um, my brother and I would spend hours with mostly Sesame Street puppets putting on shows for each other. I would go downstairs and watch television shows I really shouldn't watch. And let's just say one night I walked down the stairs and I was watching TV and I just got really tired and decided to sleep on the couch. Well, I was probably around eight years old at the time and all of a sudden I felt like something tugged on my foot. And it scared me so much and I looked around and there was nothing there because I thought maybe my mom had come down and was like, hey, you know, what are you doing laying on the couch? But there was nothing there. So I started getting really, really scared. And of course, you know, when a child gets scared, usually putting covers over their head and just like hoping whatever it is will just go away. So I put the covers over my head and I swear, even to this day, I swear I heard a woman's voice say, boo, little girl. And then a, <laughs> just like that. Of course, I screamed, and I would know I was wide awake. I wasn't asleep because whatever had pulled and tugged on my foot had woken me up. So I know I was wide awake. And, you know, I screamed really loud. And that's, of course, we know my mom and dad both came running down the steps, like, what's going on? And I told them that, you know, somebody had said something to me. Don't really know what it was or who it was. Well, you know, we lived off an extremely busy road um, and there had been several deaths around that area. So you never know, maybe something was still hanging around. The only reason I left the house was I moved to uh, Hackensack, New Jersey to become a nanny. Then my mom sold it and now it's owned by another family. 
And uh, I even got to visit it a few years ago with my mom when we went back to Kansas City. And uh, it was really nice seeing them update things. Hi, I'm Melissa, and I lived in a haunted house in Puget Sound. So the house was a Northwest modern style, so it's a smaller three-bedroom, and it was actually designed and built by my dad in 1979. So it's mostly a one-story house, but it had a second-story loft, and it's kind of your typical Northwest modern fashion, so lots of windows and designed uh kind of with an emphasis on natural settings, sort of bringing the outdoors in. So we had cedar siding, exposed beams, cedar walls, the works. One of the singular fond memories has to be that the house had these huge greenhouse style windows in the living room facing the valley and the mountains. So I would get up really early to get ready for school and go and take a shower. And then I'd haul all my stuff into the living room so I could do my hair and makeup while watching the sunrise over the mountains. Right after moving in, we started seeing a weird, pretty large, maybe three feet tall mist-like shape, typically around the door between our laundry room and our rec room. And sometimes it would go all the way back to the dining room, but always on the north side of the house. And we would try and debunk it like, you know, the laundry isn't going, there's no mist, there's no water leaks. We'd shine flashlights outside, have cars drive up the driveway to see if it was a reflection. We could never figure out what was causing this random mist like thing to appear and then just disappear. We could never debunk it, so we just accepted it and just jokingly started calling it the house ghost. We would constantly have strange noises that we couldn't explain, but it was actually the footsteps that led to a couple of strange encounters. I think I was reading a book and I hear these very heavy footsteps on the roof and I just froze in panic. Then I hear what kind of sounds like a cat screaming like they sound before they get in a fight. So I thought, okay, maybe there's a cougar on the roof and my cat is screaming at it. But the screaming sound is definitely from in the house, not on the roof. So I finally muster up enough bravery to go and what I think I'm gonna go rescue my cat. And I open up my bedroom door and I start creeping down the hallway and the screaming comes to a dead stop. Footsteps, dead stop. I go into the living room and there's my cat, sound asleep on the spiral staircase. Like she hadn't heard a thing. Like it just didn't happen. So I arm myself with kitchen knife and I go outside. I look all over. There's no footprints from animals. There's nothing on the roof. I can't see anything. So flash forward many years later, I'm staying at the house. Uh, it was just before Christmas and my son was probably about 10 months old at the time. My parents were gone and I had just put my son down to sleep. So I'm leaving his room to go clean up his toys that I'd left out in the rec room. Now remember, this is where we used to see the mist. So I'm heading down the hallway and I hear the footsteps, those dreaded footsteps overhead. So again, even as an adult, 
I freeze. Then from the rec room, I hear my son's Mickey Mouse toy. I hear that thing start talking in the rec room. Mickey So now I'm completely frozen. Then one by one, one by one, every single electronic toy my son had in there starts going off. And these were like motion activated, some of them, but some you would have to press a button for it to make a sound. I don't even know what to think. I hustle back into my son's room and I call the police thinking that there could be an intruder who, I don't know, was setting them off on purpose. I, I guess I didn't know what to think because, you know, suddenly activated toys had not been part of any of the earlier ghostly experiences there. So cops actually come out to inspect, but by the time they arrive, the toys have fallen silent, but I'm still hiding out in my son's room. Cops looked all over. They said there's no footsteps, no muddy footprints on the back deck, the front porch, by the back door. There's zero signs that anyone had been there. And all the doors were shut and locked. Well, I left when I went to college, but my parents still live there. And my mom refuses to allow any investigations because she told me if she heard an EVP or something that implied that there was a ghost or a spirit that was anything other than friendly, she'd want to move out that same day. She couldn't stay there. So they still have the footsteps, the mist still happens, and they have inexplicable crashing noises, like something's fallen like off a shelf in a different area of the house or like books are, have fallen down or something, but they can never find what it is. So they just seem to accept it's haunted. My name is Kim, and I lived in a haunted house in Leavenworth, Washington. So the house was built in 1909, so it was properly very old, even when my grandparents bought it in the late 70s. My mother's parents, they, in their retirement, opened up a clock shop and sold clocks. My grandfather repaired clocks, which also meant they were bringing in clocks. The sound of clocks was a sound I was very, very familiar with. I, I grew up with it in my own house, in my own childhood home, and it, it's always been a really comforting sound. There was this very narrow set of steps to get to the top floor, and they were the creakiest, steepest steps, and they used to really frightened me. And you would go up the steps and there was two bedrooms and a back attic room. And initially it was where my brother and I were supposed to sleep. But neither of us could ever sleep in that room. It was very unsettling. During the day, what was very friendly at night felt the exact opposite. I would often feel like something would jolt me awake. Like someone was shaking me awake to the point where I would sometimes blame my brother. So we, we reached a point where I started just full on refusing to sleep in that room. And in 2010, my uncle moved in there to live. And this is when things really escalated. One of the 
the main things is a spirit would acknowledge us. And actually, we, we did an investigation there. And uh, at one point, there was an EVP caught of the name Greta. So you can sleep in the master bedroom. And above you, you have the two other bedrooms and the creepy, creepy attic room that no one should ever go in ever. And you could say goodnight, Greta. And from above, you would hear knocks, like an acknowledgement of what you were saying. And Greta really did not like if you moved things around in her home. So at one point, we were cleaning a lot of things out of the house. And that's when we started noticing the downstairs clocks. We'd walk into the living room and the clock would be off by 10 minutes. We would leave the room, come back in the room and the hands are in different positions. And I go back upstairs and a whole pile of stuff that had been on top of the dresser is now on the floor. And I'm like, okay, I'm not sure if this is to mean that this dresser stuff is important, if the stuff on the floor is important, but tell you what, this is your dresser. I'm gonna just leave all this stuff right here. Girl, it's all yours. And uh, is that gonna, like, are we cool? If we do this, are we cool? So we left it up there. Thought goes back to normal. So the last time I was in the house, it's been a little bit because of COVID, packing up to leave, the phone starts ringing. So I go and pick up the phone, nothing. Okay, that's a little weird. Hang up the phone, do-do-do-do, packing up the car, packing up whatever, phone rings. Pick it up, no one's there. Hang it up, start to walk away, phone rings again. Pick it up, almost immediately this time, it only rang once, no one there. And this continues throughout, off and on. And finally, the phone had just rang a little bit previous. And I said, Greta, if you want me to stay, can you make the phone ring again? And the words are hardly out when the phone rings. I also appreciate that if we're gonna have a ghost, a ghost attached to my family somehow, it is going to have something to do with clocks and phones. Still going on to this day, it's it's died down a little bit. And I'm half convinced I took a couple items from the house the last time I was there. I'm not entirely convinced Greta hasn't ridden along and is hanging out at my place and chilling with my haunted doll because like some weird stuff increased in my apartment since that last trip where I brought things back with me. I brought a jewelry box. It's an old jewelry box that it belonged to my grandmother, but she got it somewhere. Because again, she loved antique stores and it's very pretty. It, it's um, metal. It looks like almost green marble. There were some pieces of jewelry inside and all of that belonged to my grandmother as well. Which funnily enough, it was a jewelry box from that dresser, which did not occur to me until just now. 